And so last week, we started a brand new value looking at it this month called Wholehearted. And if you missed it or you weren't here, you can go on to lifecenter.org and just catch up in about 30 minutes or so. And if you want to do that, you can. Um, So when we say wholehearted, though, this is what we mean. This is the value that we're anchoring in the month of February. So we mean all of me, more of Jesus. We bring our everything. We set lofty goals. We try, and then we try again, which means that oftentimes we fail and we fall short. And that's not a reason to quit. It's a reason to learn. It's a reason to trust Jesus. It's a reason to fall on his grace, to be confronted by truth, and then to grow from that place. And Jesus, because Jesus sets us free from the traps of perfectionism and comparison, unhealthy comparison, I should say, uh, we bring our best, but we trust that Jesus is greater. So it's not our best that makes the difference. It is God that always makes the difference. And so today we want to do something a little bit differently. Lori and I are going to teach together, which is awesome. Hey. Hey, hey. Um, but before, just before I introduce, before Lori takes over, um, let's try something. I'm going to say one name of a famous duo, and I want you to shout out the other name. So for example, if I say Bert, you would say... There you go, good. If I said Batman, you would say? Okay. If I said macaroni, you would say? Oh, if I said peanut butter, you would say? Mayonnaise, get out. (laughs) You, get out. You got a problem, okay? (laughs) Uh, uh, No, peanut butter and jelly. And then if I said Lori, you would say? Thank you. you. Oh, oh, no. Yeah, my daughter, that's my daughter, Emma, who yelled her name, which is... Entirely correct and appropriate, but so because we're Canadian and it's fair, then it would be Lori, Treff, Parker, Emma, and Ali. And Jason. And Jason, thank you. Threw that in there. <laughs> I'm, grateful you did, I'm grateful you didn't say Phil, so that's awesome. Okay. So today, though, we want to tell you a little bit about our story quickly, and then we want to continue to unpack Joshua and Caleb's story. And this is the heart of what we're anchoring into, that I... Everyone say, I. I I will never be fully me without embracing the power of we. Okay? So I will never be fully me until we embrace the power of we. Now, salvation rests on Jesus plus nothing. Can't add to what Jesus has done. It's perfect. But you and I becoming more like Jesus, he he always uses other people. And sometimes not the people that we would choose but he always uses other people. So as I turn it over to Lori, I just wanted to do one thing really quickly that I didn't do in the first that I'm going to do now. I joke a lot up here, and I joke with Lori, and I just have a, we have a good time. It's all in good taste and humor. But I do want you to know wholeheartedly that not only are you my best friend, but that I esteem you as a woman of God and that I honor you in the gifting of a teacher as you minister God's word. And so I know often we have some bantering fun, but I honor you. And Treff, and Parker, and Emma, and Allie, this week is Valentine's Day. And I want, I want you all to know that being your dad is the greatest privilege and honor of my life. And I want to say thank you for loving me in my imperfection and giving me grace to grow as your dad. I love you. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. And clean your room. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. That's beautiful. Thank you, Jason. I echo that right back at you. Right back at you. 
love you so much. Um, okay, yeah, I, that was definitely not, not planned and uh, not expected. All right, what were we talking about? The power of we? Yeah, so I think, there, so can that qualify as a Valentine's Day gift? Yes, totally, totally. That's, that's perfect. Whoever you are, no, I didn't ask you. I didn't think. I'm good. No, we're I, I, good. Uh, okay. <laughs> no, you know what? It, it, it's true what Jason just said about, you know, we, we only have one Savior, and our very most powerful we is us and God. But every single time, God uses one another, much to our chagrin, to help us become more like him. And I think there is real, real power in this idea of togetherness and how God wants to use the one another's in our life to help us become more and more and more like him. Now, I'm going to talk for a minute to the married people in the room, but I do recognize that not everybody is married in the room. And if you're here and you're single, I want you to know that everything that we're going to talk about today, and even this idea of togetherness, isn't about being married or not married. Yes, if you're married, yes, marriage is going to be one of the places that God is going to work out some of the stuff in your life. If you're not married, you're going to have the gift of God working out the stuff in your life with other people as well, just as we all do. So I want to just talk about marriage for one minute. Marriage is supposed to be the closest example that we have to how Jesus loves his church. And if we imagined our marriage for a minute as a bit of a picture or as a preview or like the trailer to a movie, to the, 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 this grand story, what is the story of your marriage telling? What is this trailer? What is this preview showing? And I know when I reflected on this question for, for my own life and in our own marriage, I was like, ooh, well. Sometimes it's a comedy, other times it's a horror. <laughs> Yeah. Not, you know, once every eight years, it's maybe a romance. Yeah. Right? That's right. Well, that was a romantic moment a minute ago, so... I'm off for eight years. Oh, that was, that was really good. But yeah, when we reflect on our own marriage and we think of it as how Christ loves us, we realize, ooh, okay. Yeah, it falls short in a lot of ways. And that's really why we need a Savior. That's why we need Jesus. That's why Jesus and us is our best we that we have. But God literally uses one another and uses our marriage and uses our story and uses the people in our lives, even strangers, to help us work this thing out. Now, togetherness in marriage is supposed to help us become more holy, not to make us happy. And, you know, if you're here today and you are unhappy in your marriage, that is not a good enough reason to walk away from your marriage. For some of you today, for someone here today, I believe that that is a revelation, that the actual goal of your marriage is not to make you happy, that it is actually to make you holy. Because happiness is like this it touches a superficial place. It touches this place of my wants and my needs and my desires, but holiness, actually living wholehearted and walking in holiness, encapsulates every part of who we are in our soul realm, the fullness of who we are. And that's where God wants to go in our lives. He wants to touch and heal and make whole and make new 
every single part of who we are, not just to make us happy. And he knows, actually, that if we go on this pursuit of happiness, that it actually only feeds this desire that we have to look for something else and the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. And it doesn't ever actually address the deep inner longing of our soul space. Sometimes we try to fix the longing of our soul space in the realm of happiness, but it never, ever, ever truly satisfies. If we believe happiness is the goal or the purpose of marriage, we'll miss the beauty that comes from serving, from surrender, and from sacrificial love. And listen, those things are not easy. In the heat of frustrations, in the heat of when things are not going the way they should be. And listen, we are the best judges of what is right and wrong, aren't we? I know what I need. I know what I, know I want. I know what's right. And you know what? All those things may be true. But the higher truth to all of that is what God wants to do and work out inside of you that's larger than just your immediate desires and needs and things to make you happy. There's a surface temptation in every single relationship in our life, and this doesn't just play out in our marriage. This plays out in our family relationships, friendships, work relationships, all kinds of relationships that we want our fleshly desires gratified. What does that mean? That means that every single one of us in the things that we want and we think we need, we can actually fool ourselves to believe that we deserve those things because there's nothing wrong with those things. And maybe there is nothing wrong with those things, but those things are not the things that are actually going to bring you the fulfillment that your soul longs for. The truth is you will never find the, the fulfillment of your soul from just meeting the gratification of your flesh, from just meeting what makes me happy. In our relationships, God wants to move us away from what we believe we need to what he has already made provision for, for us, or what it is that he's trying to work out in us in the trial. But it's hard for us to push past the surface of what we think we need, of what we desire, to the deeper place of what is going on at the soul level. And I'm going to give you an example of this and how this has played out in my marriage personally. It's a personal example. It's a vulnerable example. But I hope that it helps to paint a picture of the difference between just looking to a surface need to going to what is really going on in the soul space. A number of years ago, I had this insecurity or this inferiority towards Jason. And it was a deep place in my soul. And, and it was something that I never really acknowledged or wanted to own. Because maybe it was too painful. Maybe it was too deep. Maybe it surfaced something inadequate about me. I'm not sure. And so because of this, what happened in our marriage and kind of how this played out is... I would sometimes resent him, or I would pull away, or I would withhold love. And there would be these times when he'd lean in and he'd say, I, I feel like I just can't reach you. I feel like I can't connect with you, or you're distracted. Why can't I reach you? And it was very easy for me to just address 
surface what was happening on the surface of the relationship and maybe push back and say, oh my goodness, I'm right here. What are you talking about? And just push back and say, you're being too needy. You need too much. You expect too much of me. And I could push that back and blame him for other things and just keep it in the surface realm. But when I actually brought that before the Lord and the Lord began to reveal something going on to my soul space, all of the sudden, I had to take a look at that and I had to allow God to bring some healing in my life that actually Jason could never ever, in all the power of what he could do, could never actually fix or heal what was going on in the soul. Which admittedly is not that much power. <laughs> Well, no, but even if I was looking to you to fix that, you wouldn't have been able to. I would have had to take that to the Lord. And there is this moving that is happening in the Holy Spirit in this time. And it's not just happening here at Life Center. It's happening all over the place. And it's taking us from a place of hiddenness. It's taking those hidden things that are in our soul that are literally blocking us from stepping into the fullness of the provision that God has made for us. It's taking us outside of just living in the surface level of what we see or dealing with the, um, the consequences or the reactions to what is happening on the inside. He's bringing that out of hiddenness and uprooting in our lives the things that need to be healed in our lives. James 5, 16, I love it. I love it. I love it. Listen to what it says. It says, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. I love this because the way that it's written, it's actually giving us the provision. It's telling us specifically what we need to do to be healed. It is so, so incredible when you read the scriptures and when you read them and you see that God is giving us the way he's telling us how we can be healed. I don't want to hang on to inferiority. That is never going to serve me. It is, I don't want it to be a part of my life. It does not come from God. And so literally, God's word is saying, confess your sins to one another. Pray for one another that you may be healed. I want to be healed. So he's telling me what I need to do. The second part says, the prayer of a righteous person has great power in its working. Amen. I love that. I want my prayer to have great power. Confession is a part of that. Part of living wholehearted is coming out of hiding, becoming known to someone so that you can be healed, so that you can be made whole. There's no way around it. There's no way around it. And either way, there's going to be pain. There's either going to be the pain of isolation and walking it out alone, or there's going to be the pain of walking it out in community because none of us are going to do this perfectly. None of us are going to walk this out perfectly. Even when we come out of hiding in community, it may not go the way that we thought, but I promise you, the stuff inside your soul is way better out than it is in and, and the benefits, the rewards of togetherness far outweigh the risk of living in isolation. Fear wants to keep you in isolation. Fear wants to hold you back. And fear wants to say that if you tell that person, if you say that thing, if they know that, they will leave you. And you know what? At the end of the day, we don't know what the outcome is. But I can promise you, if that thing that is in there does not come out, you will lose them anyways. Because there are repercussions of those things that are happening 
every single day that we're not dealing with. It is so, so, so important to let what's happening in the deep, deepest part of you come out to the surface so that God can bring healing. Now, this is what it can look like, and this is what it looked like for me as I walked through that process. So I had to take some time and I had to pray, God, what is really going on? What is happening in this kind of cycle that would go again and again and again in our relationship? What's really going on? And as he began to speak to me, I had to repent for embracing that, for believing this lie, this thing that was not true. I had to lay it down before the Lord. I had to lay down the hurt that I had caused to Jason because of holding on to this. I had to take some time with God and own that and repent. And then I needed to receive a higher truth. Okay, this was a reality. This insecurity was in my life. It was true. But there was a higher truth from God's word about who he said I was, that I wanted to to exchange, needed to exchange that for, inferiority for confidence. I'd way rather be walking in the confidence of the Lord than inferiority for sufficiency, for rest in God, for my identity to be rooted in Christ. All of those things sound way, way better than walking in inferiority. And last but not least, the power of confession. I actually had to say it out loud to someone. Sometimes, the person that has been affected is not the best person to confess to. Sometimes they are, if the Lord leads you in that way, but sometimes they're not. Sometimes you need to talk to somebody else because sometimes that confession could actually cause even more pain, especially if in your confession you're like, yeah, you did all of these things that hurt me, but I just want you to know I forgive you. That's not exactly, exactly the heart of really owning what it is that God is working out in your life. Confession and repentance are the provision that God has given us to take things out of hiding and to live a wholehearted life. Confession and repentance bring healing when we exchange the old for the abundant life that Jesus came to give us, wholly integrated in soul, in heart, in our thinking, and our actions. And that is the goal of living wholehearted. It's really good. Really, really good. You know, we live in a culture today, uh, we've talked it on an individual level. Now I want you to take your Bibles, if you have them, and go to Numbers chapter 13, and I'm going to meet you there in a second. But we, as we talk about Joshua and Caleb, we live in a time of our lives today where you'll often hear this expression, you have your truth and I have my truth, okay? That's your truth and that's my truth. And that can be rooted in truth. Yet as followers of Jesus, there is a constraining truth that is higher than just my truth and your truth. And it is, what is God's truth? What does God's word say? What does it say? And sometimes we don't like the guardrails and the constraints and the realities that his truth brings to our hearts and brings to our lives. But as followers of Jesus, that's what we must wrestle with. And so again, we see, and it's not new for humanity, and we see it in the text that we're about to read. And so in Numbers chapter 13, verses 1 to 2, it says, The Lord spoke to Moses. Everyone say, the Lord spoke. Okay, so here comes God's provision. Here's God's provision for what's about to play out. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, Send men to spy out the land of Canaan which I am giving to the people of Israel. 
which God is what? Okay, so here's the provision. It's preceding what he's asking them to do. From each tribe of their fathers, you shall send out a man, every one a chief. Everyone say a chief. Okay, so don't just send anybody, because who you send is significant. So don't just send anybody. Send someone who understands leadership. and Send someone so who's the chief. Just send that person. And then it says in Numbers 13, verses 25, there's this group of 12 men that formed a short-term life group that lasted about 40 days, and it was for a purpose, and once the purpose was engaged, it sort of changed. And here's what it says. At the end of 40 days, they returned from spying out the land. Now, they were all qualified. They were all chiefs among them. They all go out, and they all come back, and they all see the same things, but they don't all give the same report. Because between the provision of what God says and the reality of life, there is a disorienting experience that oftentimes we go through, a period of disillusionment, when we don't see the promise and all we see are the problems. When we don't see the provision and all we see are the obstacles. All we see, and here's what you, which we're going to read in a minute. Well, I'm going to read now. I'm not going to just zip, zip, go. That was my internal filter going on there. I just heard it out loud, so you're welcome. Um, Numbers 13, verses 27 to 28. And they told him, Moses, when we came to the land to which you sent us, and it flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. However, everyone say however. The people who dwell in the land are strong, and their cities are fortified, and they are very large. Now, nothing untrue has been said. Nothing. Nothing untrue has been said. One of my primary issues sometimes with the doctrine that's in the church's world of, word of faith is it denies what is true. That's a problem that I have because when I look in Scripture, one of the things that I see here is nothing that they have said is untrue. It is fully true, but it is not all truth. It is your truth and my truth, but it's missing whole truth. It's missing God's provision. And this is where Caleb comes in. By the way, do you know in Hebrew what Caleb's name means? It means wholehearted. Pretty interesting, right? So awesome that Caleb was our host today, too. And Caleb was our host today. What? We didn't even plan it. Because if Bert needs an Ernie, and peanut butter needs a jelly, Joshua needs a Caleb. Yes. And here's what it says. It says, Caleb quieted the people before Moses. And listen to what Caleb says. Let us go up and occupy it at once and occupy it, for we are well able to overcome it. Then all the men who had gone up with him said, we are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we are. And now you have in this story your truth and my truth. And you've got a man by the name of Moses who's got to go to a higher truth to engage this. Again, what they're both saying is fully true, but it's not the whole truth. Caleb isn't asking them to live in denial or delusion about what he saw, but Caleb, and, and nor is Caleb leading them to an easier path. Sometimes love looks like a hug. And sometimes love looks like a word 
of correction to our hearts and lives from people whom we trust. This week didn't have my best week. I had a difficult week. And in the process of it, someone in my life acted like a Caleb who looked me right in the eyes and said, that's not true. And I hated it. This is not what I wanted to hear. But it's what I needed to hear. And I, so I sucked my thumb for another couple hours. <laughs> because in my life and in your life, when all we see are giants in the land and fortified cities, metaphorically speaking, we can lose heart. And instead of being wholehearted, we can begin to second guess all of our realities. And so my question is, you don't need to be married at all to have a Caleb. Do you know that sometimes I'm listening to a podcast and God uses a Caleb on a podcast to speak truth to my life? Sometimes I'm in my life group and nobody knows they're being a Caleb, but they begin to share something and it begins to course correct what I was thinking and feeling. So again, this is not based on your marital status. This is based on our relational status with God plus nothing. But we need one another. So good. I love what Joshua says, um, you know, to Caleb in this story. And it is so, 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 so powerful. Let's look at Numbers 14, 7 to 10. He says, the land which wit the land which we pass through to spy it out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land that flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord. Do not fear the people of the land, for they are bred for us. Their protection is removed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. But listen, then the congregation said to stone them with stones. Wow. But the glory of the Lord appeared at the tent of meeting to all the people of Israel. You see, when you are standing on one of God's promises, you don't need everyone, but you do need someone to stand with you to say, what has God done? Who is God? What has he said? What is his provision? What is his promise to your situation? Joshua stood with Caleb because he knew that Caleb saw with eyes of faith. He saw something different than everybody else saw. What do you see when you look at your life and your story? Do you see obstacles? Do you see the giants all around? Because I can promise you today that if all you can see are the obstacles, those are standing in the way of the provision that has already been made for you. There is a provision for your situation, but those obstacles, those giants can actually block your view, your vision, your ability to see, your ability to grab hold. And it is so important to have people in our lives that can look and say, wait a minute, but, but God, but there is a provision. There is a provision in this story. 
You see, Caleb and Joshua, they saw the giants too. It wasn't that they didn't see the giants. It wasn't that they were denying that this wasn't a huge, huge, huge obstacle. They may have even had some fear walking it out, but they trusted in what God had said. They trusted in the provision greater than their fear, greater than the giants that for everybody else were far too big for anybody else to move. Who is your Caleb? Who helps you see the provision? Again, it doesn't have to even physically be a person. It can sometimes just be a message that you hear. It can sometimes, even in a movie sometimes, literally you're like, Oh, yes. God wants you to see the provision that he has made for you. Are your eyes open to see it? Are your eyes open to see what God has already done? You see, this person, this someone needs to have two things, full truth and ultimate faith. Full truth means that They're not going to sugarcoat anything. They're not going to pretend that the giants aren't there. They're going to recognize that, yes, you have a huge obstacle in front of you. But full faith means that they are going to remind you of who you are in Christ. They're going to remind you of who God has declared himself to be. And they're going to remind you what promises are available for you in Christ. What is the provision that God has made for you despite how big the obstacles are of your situation? You see, the enemy works overtime in our lives to keep us isolated, to keep us alone, to keep us not trusting anybody else. And he does this for a very, very good reason. Because as long as those giants stay as big as they are, we won't grab hold of what Christ has already made a way for us in. There are, three, there are three ways that we embrace the power of being known. Being honest about our own brokenness in relationships. And then placing ourselves in community. Proximity is huge. We just need to get in the space with people and listen. Listen for what God wants to say. And then trust what God's word says about you. Trust it more than your situation. Trust it more than your own version of truth. Trust what God says he can and will do. I will never fully be me without embracing the power of we. And you know what? As hard as that is to walk out, I'm thankful. I'm thankful for the body of Christ, as imperfect as it is, because it does force me to my knees, because it does force me to rely on God, because it forces me to come out of my own sufficiency and rely on the sufficiency of Christ in my life. 